As you can see, the Shaws are a musical family. We're very blessed. It's just hard to believe. I haven't seen uh, Macy in so long. I mean, we used to keep her in nursery. And, and to think the Lord has been growing and cultivating that voice and that gift. What a blessing that is to the church. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Well, um, we're going to change gears a little bit here for the message. And I'm not going to preach the message that's in the, in the uh, bulletin. What we're going to do this morning is share with you about our conference that we went to. The leaders went to a conference in Indiana. And so Corky and Sam are going to share with you. And then whatever time is left, I'll use that time to share some things with you about the book of Galatians. Um, but we had an opportunity several weeks ago to head to Indiana. As a leadership, we borrowed the Roberts van. So we piled into that van. Shelby cleaned it all up for us, got all the toys and all the candy out of the carpet and cleaned up so we had a nice, clean drive. It was a long trip, um, interesting trip. I think it was like 12, 11, 12 hours, just one way. And it was a little hard to have a group conversation because if you were in the way back, you couldn't hear the people in the way front. And the middle got, got the best place from that perspective. So it was just kind of hard. It was a great conference. It was very busy. I think... That's the first time we went to the Gospel Coalition Conference, and obviously it's their intention to pack as many seminars as possible into that time because they just gave you enough time for meals, and that was about it. You were there early, you stayed late, so we didn't have a lot of time really to digest and to discuss what we were learning. We tried and tried, but um, there just wasn't a lot of time. So I think if we did it again... We would have to pack an extra day or so in there to uh, to have an opportunity to discuss these things. But we headed in that direction, of course, went through Virginia and then the mountains of West Virginia and then the farms literally of Ohio. Farms to your right, farms to your left, farms straight ahead, farms behind you, beautiful farms. And we made our way into Indianapolis, Indiana. So um, I've decided I'll let these guys, I think they did rock, paper, scissors to find out. Very spiritual method to find out who gets to go first and who uh, who's going to share with you. The lot fell on Sam. Oh, so that's how the lot fell on Sam. The authority. Sam, come and share with us uh, what you learned from the conference. Thank you. If, if you know me and Corky well enough, then you know the conversation went more like, I don't care. What do you think? I don't care. You can go first. I don't mind. I'll go second. It's okay. I'll go first uh, for about 30 minutes. And then and then somebody said, talk on it, guys. Will y'all just please? Somebody go. Um, it went something like that. So. What I learned from the conference, uh, we we definitely took a lot out of it. Like uh, Paul said, you, we did actually get time to sleep, too, so eat and sleep. Um, it was a lot to take in. Some of it was some of it was you just got some good quotes, and then some of it was you just took the whole um, talk or whatever you want to call it, the whole session, and, and wanted to keep that whole thing. Um, I got a lot out of it. Uh, I got a lot of things that uh, that I think are are for me, and then I think there's a couple things um, looking back on my notes that I wanted to uh, bring to you guys. Um, 
what I want to bring is um, actually a little bit from the beginning of the book of Galatians and the end of Galatians. So, uh, and, and this isn't necessarily specifically just for NCF. Uh, it's more for the church or churches and what I feel like God was showing that this is what should be in his churches. These are some things that should be in his churches. Um, and so having said that, it's not necessarily me saying God showed me that this is we're not doing this as a church or something like that. So don't take it like that. Um, just take it as though this is God's word saying, hey, this is what should be in our church. And this was what was not in these churches in uh, Galatia. Um, so Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 through 10. And this came from, um, I believe it was Piper. I don't have that notebook with me. Um, but this was uh, specifically from John Piper when he spoke. Um, and I'll read uh, again, it's verses 6 through 10, and I'll read that. I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And, and I believe I remember Piper saying that's almost like saying, hey, to, to hell with this guy. As we have already said, so now I say again, if any, anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. In verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men... I would not be a servant of Christ. That's the NIV version. And and in verse 6, he uses astonished. I am astonished. In the New Living Translation, he says, they have it as, I am shocked. In New American Standard, it says, I am amazed. And then in the King James, it says, I marvel. So clearly, what, what Paul is getting at here is he is... What I I probably would have put it as, I'm blown away. I cannot believe that you guys are so quickly falling away from the gospel. And it's not that you're totally taking a different religion, but you're you're changing it up a little bit. You're allowing people to come in and change up what the gospel actually is. And it might be that they were adding to the gospel some things that they thought maybe should be in there. Or they're taking from the old way and adding to it. And he's saying, I, I can't believe that you're doing this. And then if we drop, drop down to, to 10, he's able to do this. He's able to come in and use such strong emotion, a seriousness here to these churches because he's saying, hey, look, I can do this because I'm not trying to please you guys. I'm trying to I'm I'm serving God. And that's why I can come and bring such a tough message to you that if you water down the gospel, you're wrong. And if that's what the church does, then you're serving a different God altogether. So it's, it's a word from God in that 
we as a church and we as individuals um, must make it priority that we stick to the gospel. We stick to God's word and don't water it down. Don't add to it. Don't do different things that we think ought to be there. Don't make God the God that we think he should be. And he can do that because he is truly he's a servant of God, not a servant uh, of man. And he also shows so he shows that seriousness um, for the gospel within the church. And he also shows a seriousness for um, the other believers in that he's he's bringing this hard word because of his concern for for the people in the church. And so and that's kind of where I'll, I'll, I'll shift into the next part of this. But it's it's not just that he's concerned for the for the, the church, but it's for the people in the church. It's for their well-being that they stick to the gospel and not change it up in any way, not add to it. And so I, I just thought for our church, again, it's not something that we're messing up. I don't see any in any in. Good gracious. Too many ends in there. I don't see any way. From my perspective, that we're adding to the gospel or anything like that. So this is not a guys, we better change some things up kind of thing. It's let's make sure as a church and individuals that we continue to to hold God's word uh, in, in the reverence that we should hold it and never add to it. And even as individuals, even in in our lives, um, don't don't live in a way that we're trying to serve man or serve ourselves or that we've thought too highly of ourselves. But make sure that we keep God in the place that he should be in in our lives. And so how does that kind of transition? And maybe I'm making this transition really hard. But uh, if we go now to the end of Galatians chapter and, and I'm going to I kind of am stealing from the way that Keller did it. He actually starts with the last um, verse of chapter five, which is verse 26. And then and I'm going to go over the first two uh, verses of chapter six. Uh, Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. And then verses one and two. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you all, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We kind of actually, I thought it was neat, we actually kind of dabbled in this um, in Sunday school this morning because we were talking about when is it okay to throw somebody over, overboard, uh, as the sailors did to Jonah, and when should we carry each other's burdens? And um, this is a, a, a clear point where God is saying, hey, we should, as believers, help carry each other's burden. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but um, this is the, for me, it's the transition in that caring for each other. So if we if we care for each other enough as as people in this body, then there will be times where we do have to say, uh, maybe a tougher word to each other. Um, if you know, if we're in that type of relationship with somebody, there will be times where we do have to bring something to light or say a tough word to somebody. Um, 
But it's not all about just saying mean and tough, tough things to people. It's also about carrying those burdens. And um, back up. I thought it was, it was pretty neat. Tim Keller brought out what, what John Stott said, so I'm taking from two people. <clears throat> uh, the difference between a burden and a load. Um, a load is more like cargo. It's not crushing. It's reasonable weight. So it's something that it almost should be there. It's reasonable for a person to be able to carry that load. <clears throat> Whereas a burden, a burden is more crushing. It's more of a crushing weight. And that's sometimes what we have to help each other carry is those burdens in life. And so what Paul said here um, in verse 1 and 2, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you, are, uh, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And it's as though something that God wants in his churches is for us as, as the people who fill his churches to make sure that we care enough, not just to bring tough words, but make sure that we're there for each other to carry those burdens in life. Um, when, when there is a brother or sister who's down spiritually, come alongside that brother or sister and help carry their burden. Um, he also said something that was, it's obvious, but I never thought of it like this. Um, you can only, when it, when it comes to helping to carry burdens, you can only help others um, by allowing some of that burden to fall on you. I thought, how many times, and, and he gave a couple of good examples, and I thought, okay, I've, I've been in both of those examples. Things like, I can't help them, it's too expensive. That, that would cost me too much money. Or I don't have time for that. And part of helping to carry the burden of others is allowing some of that burden to fall on us. That's how you actually help carry some of that burden. So if somebody is having a, a major financial crisis, part of helping to carry that burden is some of that financial crisis might fall on you. Or if somebody is having a, a, a crisis with something in their life and they need to meet with somebody regularly, some of that burden is going to be you giving up some of your time to help them walk through that. So those are examples, and I, I've screwed both of those up plenty of times, um, of ways that we can better help carry the burden of our brothers and sisters. And I like the, the verse 26, and, and, and so I kind of going back to this in that, uh, and he touched on this a few times, that if, if, if we're so stuck on ourselves and so prideful and so inwardly focused, then, then every relationship we get into is out, out of um, selfish desire, you know, selfish ambition. So um, if... If I'm so worried about me, then everything I do has a, a focus back on me. So why would I get into these relationships where I'm helping to carry burden for somebody when it's, it's going to be a burden on me? I would not do that. 
So if our focus is on Christ and serving Christ and serving his church as opposed to ourselves, then I think that we would be in a better position in our lives to help carry burdens and care for God's church. Um, and so that's kind of, I know that's, it, it's kind of, for me, it's a lot to take in because it's kind of at the beginning and end of Galatians. But I felt like it was something for the church um, that the church can take in. Some things that, obviously, the, these churches were really messing up. And that's why Paul felt that he needed to bring this, these things to their attention. And so I feel like that anytime somebody else is, is messing something up and, and either coming under fire because of it or being warned um, to fix these things, even if we're not messing them up, we should, we should take heed and go, hmm, let's learn from their mistakes and, and make sure that we don't get to the position where those churches were in. Let's make sure that we continue to hold, God, to hold God's word where it should be. Never water it down. Don't add to it. Things like that. And be sure that we are uh, caring for each other in several different ways um, as people within the church. And that's that. All right, Corky. Great five minutes, Sam. I won't uh, begin to delve into Galatians. Uh, we, um, personally for me, it was a it was a boatload that was, uh, as Sam said, a burden, <laughs> a cargo load of information. I'll let Paul um, finish up Galatians. But um, in at this conference, other than we went through the six chapters of Galatians, uh, integrated in there were workshops. And each of us signed up for three workshops. And so um, one of the workshops that I went to, it, it kind of caught my attention. Um, the name of it was Reexamining per- Perspicuity. Perspicuity. I can't even pronounce the word. And so I said, well, this is great. This is great. I'll go to that. As soon as I find out what perspicuity means, I will be better off. But basically, um, perspicuity, that's why I don't like to use the word because I can't pronounce it, basically is the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. That's what it's about. Perspicuity is is the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. And those learned people like to use those big words. Um, But the basic question is this. It says, if the Bible is so clear, why are there so many interpretations of what the Bible says? It was Kevin DeYoung. He's the senior pastor right now. He gave this talk. He's the senior pastor right now of the University of Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan. He's, as we've learned Recently, he'll be accepting a position near Charlotte, North Carolina, another church there. But anyway, what's the problem? What's the problem? So many interpretations and many claim to be rooted in the Bible. So many interpretations and many claim to be rooted in the Bible. Well, he gave ten related reasons why he, why, or why we have so many interpretations. And I, I, I won't attempt to go through all ten of those 
but I will name a few that kind of uh, struck a chord with me, and then I will, I will end up picking the one that actually struck the deepest chord with me. But he said one, one reason um, that we have all these problems is, is there is, we need to have a proper understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. We need to have the proper understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. And he said, he said, the Bible does not give answers to all of our questions. He gave an example. He said, if I want to change all of my car, I'm not going to find how to do that in the Bible. He said, it's just basic stuff like this that wisdom will come from us from another source. So he says that we need to have that proper understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture, what Scripture is for. Another one he said is, is the proper understanding of the clarity of Scripture. And he referenced um, Peter's writing in 2 Peter 3.16, where Peter talked about um, things that Paul wrote. And he said, not all things that Paul writes are clear. And he says, not everything that we read in the Bible is going to be clear to us. It's going to take a digging on our part. It's going to take an examination on our part. It's going to take a meditation on our part. It's going to take effort on our part. And he said, even then, he says, we may not walk away with exactly what we think we will have as clarity. And there are some things, and we have to acquiesce to that. Some things are just not clear. They're not. And so a lot of times we, we tend to make up things that we think it believes, and then we, we walk around with that being the authority of Scripture. This is what God said. This is what God meant. And it may not have been that way. So that's what causes some of the problems also. Another problem, he said, is what he called pervasive interpretation. Pervasive interpretation. And he said this has to do with us being human beings. Um, and that we are influenced in our lives a lot about our own agendas, our own biases, um, things that we are challenged with by other people and we want to prove them wrong. Um, and even our traditions. All these things play part in us and how we interpret Scripture. And so we have to be aware of these things when we're coming to the Word of God that, hey, what biases, what things, what are my agendas, um, you know, what do I want to prove about this? What traditions have I been taught that... Um, would lead me astray from what actually the Word of God is saying. Then finally, the last one, and like I said, I'll just mention a few, but the one that really um, struck home with me was this point. And he said this. He said, um, we need to have the same confidence in the Bible that Jesus did. We need to have the same confidence in the Bible that Jesus did. And that, that is it. I've never been asked that question. I've never heard that question asked before. And I guess I would ask you the same thing. Have you ever been asked that? And he referenced Matthew 19, 3 through 6. And you're familiar with it. Once I read it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But he made the point out of two words. But let me read those Three verses. He says, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? 
And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And here's the kicker, verse 5. So we know who's talking here, right? Jesus is referencing God the Father. And then verse 5, And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Where therefore God is joined together, let no man separate. He made the point at verse 5 where he referenced Scripture, and then he said, and basically said, and God said this. This is what God said. And because God said this, that's all I need to know. That's where my confidence, that's where my trust, that's where I lay my life. Right here on what God said. That is my competence. And that is so very, very important two words that Jesus used there. And so many times we read through scripture that Jesus, when challenged, what did he do? What did he do? You know, Paul references a few months ago in Matthew 4 where you know, Satan came. And scripture over and over and over again, God's word he used. And that's where his competence even though Satan was tempting him with many things, his confidence rested in the word of God. And it challenged me to ask myself that question. Do I have that same confidence in the word of God that Jesus does? You know, this, this, this Bible right here um, is sufficient for life. It's the tools for life. You know, everything, everything in this book... God has spoken, even those two little words, and said. Every he, but, and, they are all origins from God's word and from his mouth. And he ended up, you know, saying this. He said, God is a God who wants to be known. God is a God who wants to be known, and he has written us this book in order to do that. So I was left with this question, and I'll leave, I'll leave it with you again. Um, do we, do I, have the same confidence in Scripture as Jesus did? Or, or, I, or you, or am I influenced more by my own agendas, by my own biases, by things I want to prove, by what I would say, this is the way we've always believed this, traditions. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. At the very most, five minutes uh, to share this morning. Appreciate that. Now you know why we're not going to do the beatitude this morning. Because I know, been in this business long enough to know that I just need to share for one minute means two. And just for two minutes means four, five minutes means ten, and so forth. But I appreciate you sharing your heart. And really what, um, what gripped Corky's heart was what Macy sang about this morning. I really love the lyrics to that song because it doesn't matter how I feel. What matters is God's promise. And that's, that's chapter two of Galatians. It's all about the promise. That's what we need to look at. What does God say? What, what God says is where we need to camp out, where we need to hang everything upon. So that was an awesome song and fit very well with Corky's testimony. 
But um, the, the conference that we attended was the Gospel Coalition, and the theme had to do with the Reformation. Um, this is 2017, and 500 years ago, a, an astronomical event took place, not just within the church, but really within the world, because the Reformation affected the entire world and how people thought about everything. But 500 years ago was the event that took place that we know of as the Reformation. And this is when some people within the church came to the conclusion that the existing church was in sin, that the existing church was on the fringes of apostasy and was drifting away from the truth and the gospel. And even some of the leaders of the church as well were living lives of sin. And some people had had enough and they called for reformation. Um, three of the names we were, so we were given biographies, we were given, um, some history at this conference. And then the keynote speakers spoke about the book of Galatians. Each keynote, keynote speaker took one chapter, but we were taught a little bit about, uh, the reformer John Calvin out of Geneva. Also Ulrich, um, Zwingli out of Switzerland, but the one that we're most familiar with would be Martin Luther out of Germany. And you perhaps have heard about Luther's 95 theses and what started the whole thing. He had some grievances. Theses are disputations, things that he disputed regarding the stance that the church had taken. And so he goes to the door of Wittenberg, Germany, and he nails his 95 disputations on that door where he is literally challenging the church. And people just didn't do that in that day in the way that Luther did and challenged the church. So there was this great, it was more, of course, than these three men, but there was this great, among many, this great sense that we really are losing things here. There needs to be a change. There needs to be a, a reformation within the way people do life and what they're believing regarding Scripture. Um, of course, one of the things that Luther really had a beef against and often gets the most limelight is the idea of indulgences, where you could... For a certain amount of money, pay for a pardon of one of your loved ones if you wanted to make sure that they got a little closer to heaven or made it into heaven and they had deceased, then you could pay a certain fee to the church and um, they would be pardoned to help them along a little farther along. So that was one of the things that really bothered him. But there were 95 such things and they were all very important matters, but perhaps the. I guess maybe the most important and practical thing that came out of this era as these men got together, they studied the scriptures. What does the Bible really say? How does God want the church really to operate? Would be the five solas um, taken from the Latin word. So very important things that were taken out of the Reformation. The five solas. These were the theological convictions that they came away from. So they came away with sola scriptura, and that means that the Bible is the final authority alone when it comes to matters of the church and the faith, the Bible. So church leaders have an important role in the kingdom of God and church life. But when it comes to the final authority, it's scripture, not the pope, not the pastor and so forth. Very important. Another was sola fide, which means a faith alone, salvation through faith alone not by any works. And then another sola is sola uh, gratia or gratia, and that is by grace alone. Of course, he's quote, they're quoting Ephesians. You are saved by grace through faith. 
not anything is to be added to these things. Solus Christus in Christ alone. So you're getting a picture of things that you have been taught most of your Christian life. And this is one of the reasons why. Because there came a point in church history where these things came to the forefront and became very important. So Christ alone is the Lord, Savior and King. And then soli Deo Gloria for the glory of God alone. What does the Westminster Confession of Faith say? What is the chief end of man but to glorify God and enjoy him forever? So these five solas became kind of a rallying point for the reformers. So there's been actually a lot of conferences, pastors conferences for the last year or two with this theme of the Reformation because it is the anniversary of the Reformation. The one that I went to last year in Kentucky also had the theme of the Reformation. They called it Protestant. And it was pretty um, strange walking through Louisville, Kentucky, seeing all of the banners on street after street that said, we are Protestant. We are Protestant. Okay, really getting the message out there. So this theme also was picked up by the Gospel Coalition. And... They chose the book of Galatians to preach out of. Why the book of Galatians? Because the book of Galatians is one of the clearest exposition of what the gospel really is. And the way it comes out, and Paul does such a great job at describing it, is because it was under attack. And Sam read a few verses pertaining to that. The gospel is of the absolute utmost importance. And that's why the Reformation took place. Because it wasn't just some church squabbles going on about unimportant things. But these reformers realized the very gospel, the message of God from heaven to us on earth is at stake. So we need to rally and defend the gospel. And that's what Paul really does in the book of Galatians. He says in Romans, it's the power to save. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power to save Everyone who believes. So that's how important it is for us to know what the gospel is and to know when it's being compromised. Because it is literally a matter of salvation. I want to reread a few verses that Sam read and then move on. But Galatians 6 through 9, I'm astonished or shocked or how did Sam put it? I just can't believe That you guys would so quickly desert him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema. Let him be damned. Um, it is, it's, a, it's the harshest term that you can think of. And he's calling that upon himself. If this message ever changes in any way, the people have to <laughs> call a curse upon them. Because there is one gospel. Jesus Christ came to this earth with one message about salvation. Not a lot of messages in the, or a lot of ways. And I know that's not very popular today. Sounds so Um, inclusive, but we have to understand 
that there's a true message, which means this is the one that puts us in right standing with God. If there's a way to be saved and in right standing with God, this is the message. Piper, Piper also said, you get the gospel wrong, you perish. Just in no uncertain terms. You get the gospel wrong, you perish. He also said that um, they got, you get the gospel wrong and you are under the curse that Paul talked about here. You are damned. So it's that important. Well, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? God is holy. God is a holy God and he's just and I'm not. And when I die, I'm going to stand before this holy, just God and give an account. Hebrews 9:27. for just that is it is destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. All mankind will stand before this holy God and give an account to him. And I'm going to either be judged on the basis of what I have to bring, the righteousness, because he's holy, the righteousness that I bring, or judged on the basis of someone else's righteousness, my own or another's. The good news is that Jesus Christ came into this world and lived a perfectly righteous life, obeyed the law absolutely perfectly. That's why the ground could not hold him, as we learned last week. And he, through by grace, through faith, when we put our trust in Christ as a gift, gives us his righteousness so that we are in right standing with God and will not be judged for the sins that we deserve because we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And in return for that, he takes the penalty of the sin that we deserve. The good news is that when we believe in this, we, we put our lives behind it, our heart and mind into it, then we are saved by grace, not by works. Because the whole world is under a terrible, terrible burden of sin and guilt. We cannot escape it. Just this Saturday, I read this article. Um, it was by a secular, it was a secular article. It was 13 pages, and, and I'm not used to the psychoanalytical terminology, so it took me a long time to work my way through it. But basically what he was saying is we have not been able to escape guilt as, as hard as we may try with all the different religions and all the different philosophies and all of the deniable Denial. As a matter of fact, guilt is just compounding and it's manifesting itself in different ways. It's sneaky. It'll it'll disguise itself and manifest itself. The gospel is that we can be forgiven for this. The gospel has many enemies. There are those who just blatantly deny the existence of God, deny that man even needs salvation because all that there is is just the material world. There's no supernatural. There's no metaphysical. And so we are. It is what it is. We are not accountable to anybody but ourselves and each other. That's an enemy, obviously, the gospel. But perhaps the the more dangerous enemies of the gospel are those that resemble The idea of belief, those that resemble the idea of walking with God, those that have teachings that are very similar to the teaching of the gospel. So the greatest enemies of the gospel through the age, because they're harder to find, are really the ones that are birthed within Christianity or or another religion. And that's what Paul is getting at here, because. In Galatia, what had happened was some Judaizers came and visited them. 
and began to add to the teachings of the gospel that Paul had taught them. And it was very subtle because they would say, well, in essence, yes, there is a Messiah and we do need salvation and it is by grace and faith is absolutely involved. And then there's this as well. This is Christianity as well. Laws that need to obey, be obeyed rules. And this is how you please God. It's faith and grace plus these rules, plus these laws. If you really want to be in right standing with God, if you really want him to accept you. And when that happens, all of a sudden the gospel went from becoming about God and his grace and his glory to becoming about man. It's another form of self-righteousness that appeals to the flesh. The Apostle Paul will say that these laws and in particular circumcision is, is of absolutely no spiritual benefit to you whatsoever because it's been fulfilled in Christ. No, it, it, it gets you nowhere with God. So why would you even try or present it? And if God is not impressed with that law keeping or that rule keeping, then who is? The obvious answer would be, well, man, you're just trying to impress each other with your godliness that is of the flesh. It's self-righteousness disguised in terms of faith and grace. Another attempt to gain, to gain salvation through our own efforts and our own merits. In chapter 9, in chapter 5, verse 9, the Apostle Paul gives that illustration. It's just a little leaven. Messes up the whole lump. And it's, it's a warning about the dangers just one. Just one person that begins to adopt a different gospel is a danger to the whole group. Just one self-righteous person. Because self-righteousness is disguised so well in morality. You find somebody who seems to be so morally upright, it's harder to realize that that moral uprightness because it's done with the wrong motive, is a heinous sin against God. But it's hard for us to put our finger on these kind of things. That's how dangerous it is. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, and I'm just kind of hit or miss here, but I'm going to close with reading um, some verses in chapter 5 to wrap it all up. But he reminds the Galatians what the law itself says. If you're going to obey the law, you have to obey all of it. You can't just pick and choose the few that you're good at because the law itself says it's all or nothing. You break one, you break them all, which is why he's so astonished that they would even be tempted to go back to a works salvation. You can't have it both ways. It's either faith and grace alone or there is works involved. So I want to read what I really tried to pick a passage that I thought, well, this is the heart of Galatians. But almost all of Galatians is the heart of Galatians. So I had to settle for the first 15 verses in Galatians 5. And I'll close with this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul's a little emotional here. Um, to Beatty, one of the speakers said he's basically saying, you know, circumcision, you cut the foreskin. He's saying, why stop there? Just keep on going if that's how you want to please the Lord. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul really asks a great question in, in this book. Why would you go back to a life of slavery instead of living in the freedom that the grace of Christ brings to you? He can't quite figure it out. And that's a wonderful question. So, yeah, why? Why would, be, why would people want to, want to be accepted by God based on their obedience and, and rule-keeping? Well, unfortunately, it's a part of our sinful nature. It's a part of the flesh. And the flesh takes great delight in thinking that it is able to control things and manipulate things. And it's just another form. So there's a sense in which if I can be a little holier than you and be more self-controlled than you, obey more rules than you, then I have better leverage with God, which is absolute opposite of what the gospel teaches, opposite of what Christ came and preached. It's not a way to manipulate God. You cannot get any holier than you are if you are united with Christ. It's an incredible, astonishing thing that Christ accepts us as we are, but he does, and that we are united with him. So the gospel preaches that you are as holy as you possibly can be if you are in Christ. And as we learned last week, the good that we do is only accepted by God because he's a good God, not because it is so good. Grace says, come as you are. You know, Jesus came in the world and he understood that mankind lives under a burden. Yeah, he has this, this potential to speak right to the heart. And he knows life is hard. And he knows that a lot of times we feel guilty, whether we believe in God or not. If we don't believe we've disappointed God, then we just know that we've disappointed ourselves or we've disappointed those around us. And we live with this heaviness. And we know that the world is not how it should be. And then here comes Christ with this gospel message, this great news. And he says, come to me. Just like you are all the burdens that Sam talked about, all the heaviness, all the things that you cannot bear to care on your own. Just bring it right on in and my grace will cover it. It's almost too good to believe Paul's argument in Romans is. But that's the good news. That's the gospel. It's not don't don't run back and feel like you got to wash your hands at the basin and obey this law and this ceremony. Come to me as you are and you're going to find that you are worse than you ever dreamed when you come. 
but that I am more gracious and loving than you could have ever imagined. And that is the gospel. Paul says, go on to freedom in Christ or die in slavery. An example that Tabidi gave, uh, Anab Weil, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, and if I'm not, you'll never know it, but um, in the days of slavery, you've heard, of course, of Harriet Tubman. She was uh, Moses because she was instrumental in freeing slaves from the south, getting them to the north where they could be legally free and live a free life. And this older black lady carried a revolver with her, a handgun, as sweet as she was. And she carried it for two reasons. One, of course, was for protection for herself because she was doing something illegal. And she would surely be killed if anybody found out that she was setting slaves free. She also carried it for another reason. And that was because some of the slaves, though they longed for freedom, when they get halfway there or partially there, they would really be gripped by fear. And they weren't so sure that they wanted that life of freedom because back here I know what life is about. Yeah, it's hard, but at least I know what it's about and I know what I, I can expect, just like the flesh pots in Egypt. Why go to the promised land? I don't know what's in store for me when I can just get back there. Yeah, I didn't like being whipped, but at least it was I knew what was going on. And so some of them would lose heart. And so she carried that revolver. And the story goes that there was a time when one of the men said, I want to I'm not going to go through with this. I'm too scared. I'm going back. And she held the revolver to his head and said, it's either freedom or death. You go into freedom or you die. And she said that, of course, because one person could compromise the whole mission. And there's a sense in which that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians. Look, either you go on to freedom in Christ or you die in slavery. That is how important the gospel is. And you are clean through the blood of Christ. There's nothing you can do to make yourself any cleaner. And it's not how we feel. It's what God's word says. You might say, but when I when I do these things, I, I, I feel cleaner before God. That's works. That's flesh saying I want to earn it. I want to have something in it in my salvation. So the enemies of the gospel, what does this have to do with the church? New covenant fellowship. Are there still enemies of the gospel out there? Are there still those that actually preach a form of works salvation? I will tell you this, that the doctrines of the Catholic Church that were in existence in the days of Calvin and Luther and Zwingli regarding justification and righteousness have not changed to what they are today. So there is still that element of work salvation. Also, we still have in every age has had people that want to either take away from the gospel or add to the gospel. New Covenant Fellowship has been challenged at times with people that want to bring to us practices that they would say need to be added to the way we do our church life or the way we do communion or other things. Because based on the Old Testament, based on God's word, God says we have to do this for all time. And so this is how we need to do church life by obeying this law. And that will please God. And if we don't, we don't please God. And we've had to stand our ground on occasion. 
with these things. So we've had people pass through these doors. We've had, we've had people uh, leave the church because they believe that there are certain laws in the Old Testament that are still to be obeyed today. We've had, it's hard and we have to stand our ground on those things as well. But according to Galatians, the gospel is salvation by grace alone. Faith alone and Christ alone for the glory of God alone. And so we very much as a church body need to understand the true message of the gospel. And not only proclaim it, which by God's grace I think we do, but defend it. Which by God's grace I hope we will. So that we can go on to freedom in Christ And not die in slavery. May God bless the preaching of his word. And may the gospel never be forsaken. Added to or taken away from in this church. In this kingdom outpost. Amen.